Action Network Podcast. 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 If you are even remotely a savage, you'll run these people over in a second. Oh! Welcome into the Action Network podcast. We are presented by the FanDuel Sportsbook. I'm your host today, Brendan Glasheen, joined by Sean Cirillo and Billy Ward. That means we have a UFC betting preview. It's a big weekend. UFC 290 from the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. Got two title fights that we will break down extensively. The featherweight championship and the flyweight championship. We'll get to both of those. Five main fights as well and nine prelims. Uh, We'll look at underdogs, props, and more. And then finish up with some best bets. But first, we will start with uh, the co-main. We've got Alexander Volkanovsky, significant favorite against Yair Rodriguez. He's at plus 285 on the money line over at FanDuel. Uh, Featherweight Championship, uh, pretty straightforward show this week, guys, because this is is big-time stuff. So folks are going to be dialed into the action. Zerillo, when you look at the, uh, the fight, of course, you get a significant favorite on one side and then Rodriguez as a, as a significant underdog. How would you uh, assess the fight first off? And then how would you like to bet it? Yeah, I made Volkanovski roughly a 80% favorite here, minus 410. So I think anything up to minus 360 is actually playable. Um, parlay him a bit higher and I'll probably use him as a parlay piece. I'll find either other things on the card I want to parlay him with um, or I will such as Cameron Simon, who I think, by the way, even at minus 600, I think Cameron Simon should be closer to minus 1,000 with those other gigantic favorites on the card. Uh, or I'll find something on the MLB card to parlay him up with. But yeah, I, th- I think Volkanovsky actually may be the value side at minus 350 here. He does everything so well. And just in terms of pure minute winning, I think in a in a pure kickboxing match, right? Say Volkanovsky is incapable of landing takedowns here, gets stuck in a pure kickboxing match, I actually still think he would be the favorite, even though Yair is so long, has range with his kicks, phenomenal kicker, but Volkanovski is the much better boxer. He's going to come forward. He's going to cut off that distance, throw a lot of feints, repeatedly kick Yair's leg, try to slow him down, get him stationary. And then once he gets him slowed down a little bit, he's going to start boxing him up. And Volkanovski has the way better hand. So once they get into boxing range, outside of kickboxing range, but into boxing range, just a little bit tighter, I think Volk is really going to, piece him up with the hands, land some big combinations. And then he basically just has the easy button anytime he wants it, which is to try to land takedowns here, get top position, and beat Yair up with some ground and pound. Yair has some slick submission skills off of his back. We've seen it in his recent fights, but Volkanovski getting out of those submissions against Brian Ortega was almost a superhuman effort. Uh, If anything, I'd actually be more worried, and I think Yair's path to victory lies in a knockout. I think he needs to head kick Volkanovski or land a flying knee or a spinning attack or something in order to wobble Volk. We've seen Volk wobbled in the past, knocked down in the past. Chad Mendez wobbled him, put him down. Max Holiday wobbled him. He doesn't have the best chin. He seems to get hit and just goes on skates for a second almost once every fight, but he has very good recoverability and tends to bounce back from getting wobbled rather quickly. The Mendez knocked down. He ended up knocking him out within two minutes after being knocked down himself. So Volk, very tenacious, hard to put away, but does have that chinny thing that is, you know, making me a bit 
suspicious that somebody might catch him at some point. But aside from Yair knocking him out cold, you know, similar to how uh, Leon Edwards did against Kamaru Usman, I don't really see Volkanovski winning this fight at a significant degree. Uh, it's it, I really think Yair is drawing dead to a knockout. I think I would rather bet Yair to win inside the distance at plus 450 than betting his money line at plus 250 or plus 300. I just think it's likelier, so much likelier that he wins by finish if he does win. Uh, but that said, you know, if Volkanovski is going to justify his money line here, his minus 400 money line, he does need to wrestle. You know, I don't want him standing in a kickboxing match for 15 minutes if I'm betting minus 400. I want that grappling upside implemented. And I think he's going to go to it. He's, you know, faced other guys in recent fights where he has a grappling edge, but I think this is like a severe grappling edge. Uh, and, you know, it justifies why his line is where it is. So, yeah, Volk going with the favorite. Uh, not a big surprise here. I'm going to wait until Taporia, Ilya Taporia potentially gets a title shot in order to bet against Volk. I think that's the guy who has the skill set to take him out. I don't think Geyer is well-rounded enough to do it. And as we record on a Friday morning, uh, the day before, uh, over at FanDuel, Volk is at minus 375. I said minus 400 off the top. It's at minus 375 at FanDuel as we speak. Billy Ward is the author of the UFC Luck Ratings that you can find in the Action Network app, actionnetwork.com. And a similar feel, Billy, I would imagine, because like Zerillo, not by much, but slightly, you think Volk is undervalued. I do, and I'm glad you, you know, kind of slipped up and mentioned the change in lines there because this no line, problem. this line, this line has been moving a little bit all week. I saw a tweet earlier in the week about how much money was coming in on Rodriguez, and I thought, great, like let's get some more of that, so maybe we can get Volk down to minus three hundred, minus three twenty-five. I'm kind of holding out on the money line, hoping we can get just a little bit better. But I'm with Sean. I don't really see how Year wins this. Um, you know, he mentioned the long possibly better kickboxing that was max holloway who volk beat three times much longer theoretically faster good kicks no problem for volk the, the only thing i want to add i guess to sean's point about the wrestling i don't know that volk needs a takedown to exercise his wrestling advantage i could yes. definitely yeah. see him dominating just shoving him up against the fence dirty boxing using his strength pinning him there he's just so much physically stronger you know volkanovsky might be the best overall athlete in the ufc especially when we consider his con conditioning you know, he tends to build throughout the fight. You know, we saw him almost take over in the fifth round against Makachev, despite being ground down for the round prior to that, which is why I'm taking his round four, round five, or by a decision prop. That's minus 105. If I'm Volkanovsky, I'm playing this one a little bit cautiously in the first round. You know, shove him against the fence, get a takedown if it's there. If not, no big deal. Because Yair's power and all of his flashy jumping, spinning stuff, he's got maybe a round or two of that before that significantly slows down. So if I'm Volkanovski, I'm happy dropping the first round or making it close, maybe even the second round, and then just turn up the volume, turn up the pace, three, four, five. You know, a late third round stoppage would kind of ruin this bet for me, but outside of that, I don't see Volk just starching him early. I think he looks to take over late. That's close to even money. If the line keeps moving Rodriguez's way, we might even get that one at plus money, which I'd be real happy with. Also, another potential live spot. If, you know, Yair comes out super aggressively, does all the spinny stuff, maybe puts Volk on skates like we've seen in the past, then do we get him at minus 150 on the money line or something? I'd be happy with that. But in terms of pre-fight, I'll take that 4-5 decision. Just keep an eye on the lines as we get closer to Saturday. Because if we get minus 300 or better, I'll just take Volk straight up. One more point about the takedowns, too. Uh, Yair also tends to sleep, throws a lot of wild spinning techniques. He tends to slip and end up on his back from falling, from throwing a strike about once or twice a fight as well. So 
look for Volkanovski to take advantage of those moments too. you know, jump on top, land some ground and pound without even having to exert any energy to land a takedown. So, yeah, I, I agree with you, Billy, though. I think, you know, potential live spot after round one, after round two, if that price moves in, you know, towards Volkanovski or towards the Ayer and away from Volkanovski, get a better price on Volkanovski after the first five or 10 minutes, definitely think I would take a dive there as well. All right, before we get to the flyweight championship, let's examine underdogs for UFC 290. Again, uh, prelims available on ESPN+. Plus, and you can also watch the main card on ESPN+, Plus, also pay-per-view. Uh, Zarella, where are we looking this week in the underdog market? Yeah, going with Shannon Ross in a flyweight bout against Jesus Aguilar. Ross is, I think, pretty easy to see the more skilled fighter. He just gets hit once and you hear, hello, darkness, my old friend, you know, come in over the speakers. Uh, it's tough to be a UFC fighter when you can't take damage. You take one punch and you just sort of melt. But they gave him an opponent in Jesus Aguilar who has no career knockouts, who seemingly does not have much punching power. He's more of a jujitsu guy, uh, more, of a, more of a grinding, uh, will beat you with cardio, wear you down over the course of 15 minutes. And I don't really have major concerns about Ross's cardio. It really is the chin. So if he's able to survive for 15 minutes and not get knocked out, I actually think he has the better chance of finishing Aguilar or of potentially winning minutes and securing a decision. So I will take the more skilled fighter at plus money and just pray for the entire fight that he doesn't get chinned. Uh, he does also have a four-inch reach advantage here. So there's some physical advantages as well. He's the bigger man. I think Aguilar, if there was a you know 115-pound men's division, he might be more suited for their Ross's Ross is just the bigger fighter. So uh, yeah, bigger fighter, more powerful. And finally getting a guy who is less likely than, you know, typical fighter to knock him out. So I'll take Shannon Ross at plus money and uh, we'll not enjoy that sweat probably. All right. It's a bet he'll make, but a fight he won't enjoy watching. <laughs> no, very good. We all, we, we do have those. And by we, I mean, Zarello and Billy from time to time. So that's not new. That's not a new thing. If you're new to the podcast, Billy, you are also looking at the prelim card for an underdog. Yeah, real quick on Sean's point, I believe Aguilar has the shortest reach in the UFC of mm. any, I think it might be any fighter, even including the women's division. It's close if not. There's somebody who had, a, I believe, a 59-inch reach or something, but yeah, 62 inches is, that is some... That's uh, five foot two, guys. T-Rex like arms. So, yeah, I mean, major T-Rex arms there for Aguilar. Absolutely. So if you're getting hit by that guy, like this... This isn't the sport for you. It's probably not going to work out. But, um, yeah, so I'm also looking at the prelims. I'm looking at Mar Marcin Prachnio. He's fighting Vitor Petrino, and this is kind of just the fight that we keep getting for Prachnio. He was the one who fought William Knight in, like, the worst fight ever where he just stayed on the edge and kicked William Knight's calf while Knight didn't really do anything. Petrino, actually similar style. Definitely a brawler, never really throws a jab, just comes in big hooks, big strong guy, knows where they keep the weights, but not super skilled with his hands. And he just swings for the fences and tries to knock people out. Prachnio has that kind of karate style, which defensively is pretty sound. And it's not just Knight. He fought uh, Ike Villanueva, similar style. Khalil Roundtree, somewhat similar style, not exactly. And he's been able to you know, maintain the range, kick the legs, keep relatively good defense. Much like Sean's pick, when he gets hit, it's ugly. Like, he looks like, you know, one or two shots, he looks like he's on skates. But he's managed to recover from those a couple of times. He's probably the better overall grappler than Petrino. Petrino's strength allows him to just kind of power wrestle here and there. But I'm not saying he should be the favorite or anything. We're getting close to 2-1. to one. The line's moved his way a little bit. 
I also think he's another good live spot because Petrino is definitely most dangerous round one. I'm sorry, Petri- yeah, Petrino is definitely most dangerous round one. If Prachnio can kick out his legs and stuff like that, Petrino's not going to have much later in the fight. All right, excellent. There we go. There are two underdog picks. Let's move on to the flyweight championship. Brandon Moreno, the favorite against Alexander Pantoa. He's at plus 158. Uh, just double checking. Plus 156 now. Moreno minus 194 as we record on this Friday morning. Zarello, same as we talked about for the featherweight. Just how do you examine the fight, your overall outlook, and then how you'd like to bet this one? So Pantoja, 2-0 over Moreno, but the last fight came in 2018. The first fight was on the Ultimate Fighter. Um, so you won't see it on their career records, but it is a fight that happened that Pantoja won by submission. And I think I would rather take Pantoja inside the distance or by finish as opposed to betting his money line here. I just think it aligns much more with his win equity. Um, If you gave Pantoja this title fight two years ago, three years ago, I would probably make him the favorite. But age catching up with him, getting later in his flyweight career, uh, cardio not the best beyond 10 minutes anymore. I think he's the better pure grappler. I think Moreno is the better wrestler. Based on their past fights, Pantoja may actually have the striking advantage early. It's difficult to tell how much Moreno has leveled up his boxing because he kept fighting Davis and Figueredo. So it's it's tough to say whether his boxing got better or he got better at fighting that particular style of opponent. I do think Moreno has improved. And he sort of has these two cheat codes as a fighter, which are insane durability and insane cardio. You know, if you if you just started off telling me a fighter, we're going to fill out his skills as we do, but the base that we're going to carve this clay from has insane durability and insane cardio. You're probably going to fight for a title someday just based off of those skills alone and at fly being at flyweight where finishes do not materialize nearly as much as at the heavier weight classes. If you can make it to a decision every single time, you're always going to be competitive. Uh, but I think, you know, Moreno with the cardio advantage here, probably over the final 15 minutes, Pantoja has never been in a main event. Moreno has been in multiple consecutive main events. So final 15 minutes. Yeah, I think certainly favors Moreno. Moreno live after round two, round three might be the best way to play it. Ultimately, that might be the individual best way to play this fight because you might be getting Moreno at plus money or a pick and price as he's coming into the vast majority of his win condition. But if I'm playing Pantoja, which I'm going to do, I'm going to bet him inside the distance at plus 350. I'm going to bet Pantoja in round one, plus 1100, or round two at plus 1600. We're going to find ways to maximize the return if Pantoja does take his back and does choke him out early when they're both dry because Pantoja is a very, very dangerous submission artist and he's incredible at taking the back. And Moreno not only gives up his back standing, but also when he gets taken down and goes to get back to his feet, he gives up the back two. Not something that Davis and Figueredo was able to capitalize on because he typically doesn't look for it. Pantoja looks for the back every time against every opponent. He's one of the best in the UFC at it. I'd say it's him and Charles Oliveira, you know, taking the back, choking people out with the rear naked choke. They're they're right at the top of the list. So I'll take Pantoja finish props and I'll probably roll that into a live bet on Moreno. You know, I'm not like a quarter unit Pantoja inside the distance, 0.5, 0.1 each on the round props. So, you know, you're playing with a third of a unit. 
on Pantoja's props. And then you try to bet, you know, a half unit on a Moreno live at a better price. You sort of play around with both sides of it, but I think that's the best way to maximize your return and how I would want to play it specifically pre-fight. I don't want Moreno pre-fight. I want him live. Billy, per your luck ratings, you have the cannibal undervalued as well. Is that the angle you're taking just on the money line? Yeah, Sean's talked me into taking a little bit of a sprinkle on, you know, maybe early rounds or whatever props on Pantoja. But I do like him straight up. You know, we talk about durability. Pantoja has five career losses, never been finished. Part of that is, of course, the weight class. But he's fought some tough guys, managed to make it to the end. It wouldn't shock me to see Pantoja win, you know, rounds one, two, and four or something like that just with ground control and then survive to the end against Moreno as Moreno comes on. So I don't want all my eggs in the finish basket. But I do think Pantoja is a little bit underrated here. You know, you look at the stats of trilogies where they where the same fighter won both of the first two. That fighter is six and two when they have a third one, counting uh, Volkanovski versus Holloway most recently. So that's a pretty powerful, pretty predictive thing. Obviously, we don't have a big sample size because rarely do we see a trilogy when the same guy won the first two. It's not something we're really clamoring for. And then just to Sean's point, you know, maybe he just got better at boxing Davison Figueredo. There's also the factor that maybe Figueredo's getting worse, right? Those were some tough weight cuts for Figueredo. He hasn't looked great physically lately. He's, you know, pulled out of the fight he was supposed to have this weekend, moving up a weight class for a different one. So I'm not saying Moreno hasn't improved. He certainly has. But it's really hard to judge how much of that was Moreno's improvements versus Figueredo on the decline because Figgy's a little bit older than Pantoja and Moreno. You know, tough making the weight class, a lot of factors there. So... Like the money line, Sean's definitely convinced me to take a sprinkle on that round one and round two. Also think Moreno live makes a ton of sense, especially if you think he wins one of the first two or three rounds. So this is a situation where you're probably going to get the best number sooner rather than later, right? On Pantoja, as opposed to waiting or, well, based on what you just said, maybe it is a live situation. I can see it actually going up after weigh-ins, you know, Pantoja is We've seen them fight before, but Pantoja, two inches shorter, three-inch reach discrepancy. I mean, there's a chance people see the weigh-ins and go, oh, Moreno, you know, as he continues to fill out in his late 20s, he's getting bigger. Look look at the size advantage he has over Pantoja here. So I could actually see it continuing to tip towards Moreno. You know, people parlaying up uh, Moreno and yeah, your Rodriguez may be a favorite and an underdog or I don't know. Uh, we're definitely going to get a lot of Mexican money into this market with with all these Mexican fighters on this card, but uh yeah i uh i just think you know moreno if i was to choose a single money line on the main card out of the 10 fighters to play it's pantoja Mm -hmm. i just think there's a better way to play pantoja so yes i think it's fine to play pantoja on the money line again of the 10 fighters on the main card pantoja is the only money line i'm interested in i guess besides from volk uh but i think he's the best best bet of those 10 fighters i just think there's better ways to to optimize his likely win conditions so so I'm going with the finish props. And I think he was plus 170, plus 175 earlier in the week. So maybe maybe now is the time to jump on Pantoja. It wouldn't shock me to see it bounce back the other way. I don't think we see a drastic shift in either direction. Just because these lines have been up for two, three weeks on these title mm-hmm. fights. So I think we're more or less at least in the neighborhood of where it's going to finish. Yeah, if there's big movement, it's under- coming closer to fight time. We, we actually see lately, like during the card as other fights are going on, people are putting in large bets and all. I'll pull up the odds board and I'm like, why is this guy gone from minus 200 to minus 300? There's some pretty drastic movement right before these fights happen sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we go, we've got props. And then uh, finally we leave with best bets. Zerillo, you've got a couple of props you'd like to share for this card. 
Yeah, you know, I just want to touch on the other fights on the main card. Uh, Dan Hooker, Jalen Turner. I like the unders under one and a half, under two and a half. Hooker, uh, I guess both guys honestly rarely seeing size parity at 155 pounds, both used to having the reach advantage. Hooker seems to be declining physically. I know he won his last fight, bet him pretty big against Claudio Poyas, but going back down to 145, coming back up, been through a lot of wars, seems to be slowing down. I think Turner has a pretty significant speed advantage here. Very slick grappling skills. He seems to finish everybody from the Anzac region, just owns these guys from Australia and New Zealand. But uh, yeah, like the under one and a half, Turner very hittable, but knocked out a few times. I think we see a very high-paced, very quick finish in that fight. Robert Whitaker, Drigas Duplessis. I like Whitaker by decision, plus 220. I'll probably consider betting the fight by decision of plus 170, but I, I just think if it goes the full 15 minutes, it's likely that Whitaker sees his hand raised. Uh, Duplessis, a very durable guy. And I think in the bigger cage, Whitaker staying on the outside, finding ways to enter, you know, blitz in, get back out of range. I think Whitaker will find ways to stay safe in this fight against a guy who is a proven finisher who hits harder. Um, so yeah, if I'm, if I'm betting this fight, Whitaker by decision, plus 220. And then a fight that Billy will talk about, Jimmy Crute and Alonzo Metafield. We saw this fight play out uh, on the, I believe it, UFC 284. And that fight was plus 300 to go to a decision, was plus 120 to the over one and a half. It went the full 15 minutes. Both guys were very tired, but it got there. And now the price drop only minus 105 over one and a half, plus 260 to go to a decision. You know, I'm interested in taking the overs here. Uh, Lonzo Metafields seems like the more dangerous finisher to me. He's always dangerous in round one. Jimmy Crude has been knocked out in the past. But I expect Crude to take a bit safer of an approach here and stay on the outside, be patient, maybe look to kick the leg uh, or avoid getting his own legs kicked, rather, too, because that's been a problem for him in the past. But we'll see him wrestling, holding Metafield up against the cage. I think this may actually be a much more boring fight than the iteration the first iteration that we saw but i think any fight that goes long that goes over favors jimmy crute so i'm going to look for crute live after round one i like crute by decision at plus 600 in addition to the overs um and yeah i you know if manifield doesn't put crute away in the first round i think crute takes over with the wrestling over the final 10 minutes but i you know i don't want it all tied to the guy who is going to be looking for control and not damage. So a small bet, crew by decision plus 600, definitely going to have more tied to the overs in that matchup. And crew, you know, not a particularly brutal finisher in his own right. So even if he has a cardio advantage down the stretch, like we saw in the last fight, Metafield grabbing the cage, getting point taken away. Mm -hmm. I think Metafield's durable enough to survive to the end. I really like the over one and a half there. The, the plus 270 goes the distance is, you know, going to be as much of a sweat as the line would indicate. Uh, you are correct. Metafield Crute, uh, UFC 284, just looking at the prices FanDuel had at the time. I think Metafield closed at plus 110, Crute minus 140. And, uh, you know, I should mention too, Crute was winning the first round, got knocked down at the end of the first round. Metafield won the second round. And then Crute, I believe, won the third round, but Metafield got a point deducted for grabbing the cage, which is why it ended up in a draw. So without that knockdown at the end of the first round, Crute wins. Without the cage grab getting called in the third round, Metafield wins. So, you know, it played out closer to what was a 50-50 fight, but at the same time, Crute yeah. seemed like he had the upside with the grappling to win it closer to 60% of the time. So I'd favor Crute. I like Crute on the money line. Technically, I just think you get a better live price after round one. Billy, prop, what are you looking forward to? 
Yeah, I also have two. Both are fights that uh, Zerlo's touched on. The Shannon Ross Jesus Ag- Jesus Aguilar fight, I should say that he. Hopefully, he's not fighting Jesus. That would be a problem yeah. for me. It'd be much much tougher fight for him. But uh, for the reasons Sean talked about, you know, I like Shannon Ross's upside. He's got huge reach advantage. Should be the much better technical striker. Aguilar is a very very good grappler though. And also with his tiny arms and lack of neck, that makes it really hard to grapple him because he's a tiny person. And when those tiny people lock up a submission on you, you have no room to escape. There's absolutely nowhere to go. So for that reason, I'm taking the under two and a half at minus 148. Basically, the way I see it, if Aguilar gets a takedown, he probably wins it on the ground. If he doesn't, should be an easy win and probably finish for Ross. So very binary fight on that one. And then my other one, I'm going DDP, Drikas Duplessis. Inside the distance at plus 400. Sean kind of broke it down. If it goes all 15 minutes, I'd bet a ton of money that Whitaker's the one for this hand raised. But that's a pretty solid line on a guy in DDP who's finished almost everyone he's fought. Great power, underrated grappling. And we've seen Whitaker hurt just a little bit. You know, he's he's dropped, I think, three times by Izzy between their two fights. Yul Romero knocked him down a couple times. Got knocked out by Wonderboy at welterweight. This, of course, is over like a decade. So I'm not saying he has a glass chin or anything. But he's getting up there. He's been in a lot of fights. He's had his chin checked a few times. And DDP might have more power than any of those guys, with the possible exception of Romero. So kind of a puncher's chance, you know, prop squad style, long odds. I like the inside the distance better than the knockout, just because I could see a club and sub. I could see him, you know, snatching up a neck of a wounded Whitaker rather than try to exhaust himself punching him. So it's only a 100 cent difference, plus 400 instead of plus 500. So I'll take the ITD line there. All right, fellas, and before we go, final bet, best bet. You never know. You might get from Zarello or Billy on this particular topic. Zarello, a best bet, please. Yeah, it's a final bet today, not a best bet. We got to honor. Okay. We got to honor uh, Ruthless Robbie Lawler here. Uh, retirement fight coming up. Typically, we get these retirement matchups from the UFC, and you just cringe looking at it on paper. Uh, Frankie Edgar. Uh, we, we've seen some bad retirement matchups in the past where they they feed these guys who have a name to these rising prospects. But I'm actually happy with how they matched up Robbie Lawler here against Nico Price, who is also on a poor run of his own. Uh, Nico Nico's seven years younger, but he looks just equally, if not more shot than Lawler physically. Multiple knee surgeries, looked really slow in his last fight, got knocked out by Phil Rowe. Been through a lot of wars of his own. So even though there's a seven-year age gap between these two guys and Robbie's, you know, in his late 30s, early 40s, um, knocked out in his last fight, I actually think Lawler looks physically, you know, just as capable as Price does at this point of their respective careers. Um, So I I think this is actually good matchmaking. I don't think the line is representative of how competitive I expect this fight to be because Price doesn't really have the the physicality to pour volume on people like he used to, you know, Lawler's last fight against Brian Barbarina, they kind of traded, went to war. Lawler had success early and then sort of got punched out. Uh, it fell, you know, succumbed to the pace of the fight. I don't really see price being able to keep a pace on him. If anything, I think price justifies his favoritism here with grappling wrestling. And in a Robbie Lawler retirement fight, I think he's going to get the crap boot out of him. If he tries to do that, um he might have success doing it but yeah i see this one playing out on the feet i see it being you know a striking match that's relatively competitive and i think lawler should be closer to plus you know he should be closer to 
38, 39% here, uh, you know, closer to plus 160 than plus 200. So I, I like Lawler down to about plus 190. Um, you know, I don't, I don't love betting these old guys in retirement fights. I want to be very clear <laughs> about that, but this is an exception because I think they're giving an opponent who is equally physically shot as he is. So two to one or better on a fight between two guys who both probably should you know, hang it up, uh, I think is a fine bet and uh, happy to root for La Robbie Lawler one more time. I'm not even like a particularly big Robbie Lawler fan. I should specify that too. You know, if there was a guy I was ever going to get sucked into like betting him because he's a legend and I want to bet on him one last time, it'd be GSP, but GSP is tired, retired. So yeah, there's, there's no like, you know, fan of me that's like, oh, I need to bet on Robbie Lawler here. I just, I think the line's a little bit off. So Lawler two to one, uh, final bet, not a best bet, but certainly a bet I think you should make. Yeah, you took the words out of my mouth. That reeks of a final bet, if I ever heard one. Yeah, final um, bet for his final fight, you know. Yeah. And uh, the number you mentioned, plus 194, that's what he's down to right now at FanDuel. As yeah, that's right fine. You know, plus 190 is fine. I uh, wouldn't go much lower than that. He was plus 205 yesterday. So, yeah, anytime it touches plus 200, he seems to get hit. And I think that's uh, probably, uh, you know, a solid indicator. Uh, Billy, we hit on Crute Metafield in the prop section, but you actually like, Crute outright. Yeah, if we were getting this earlier in the week, I think he was actually a slight underdog at various points here, minus 105. That would be my best bet. As it stands, more of a final bet. But, you know, as Sean pointed out, it, it kind of seemed like he had more of the upside other than slipping and getting caught for that one moment. The other thing here, he is, I think, eight years younger than Menafield. So if we had two guys who, you know, had a draw, so we in theory they're even there, which one of them is going to be getting better and which one of them is going to be getting worse at this point in their career. And it's Crute that's getting better, right? His last fight, that was also his first fight coming back from a knee surgery. Mm -hmm. So I expect him to have improved a little bit just in that athleticism, quickness, not getting leg kicked, as Sean mentioned, pops, possibly landing some of his own. I just think he has all the upside in terms of improvement here. Where Menafield is 35, we've probably seen the best Alonzo Menafield we're ever going to see already. Not that he's in a massive decline, but He's certainly not getting better at this point in his career. With that said, with the line moving as much as it already has, I would probably try to find some kind of parlay with, you know, outside fight to start round two and crude in three or decision. Some of those later props just to remove some of that vig. This is another one. I think on Monday I tweeted it was the free CLV pick of the week was Jimmy Crude, and it's definitely moved that way. Minus 132 on FanDuel right now, I'd still take, but it's stretching it a little bit. I'd rather... I don't see him just starting Menafield in round one. So if we can cut some of the juice a little bit, that's the way I'd play it. If you didn't get one of the better lines earlier in the week. His best fight, his best line, by the way, for the first fight in February at close was minus 160. Consensus was closer to minus 170. So, you know, just take the recency bias off of that market adjustment. I mean, if you believe in efficient markets, crude is a clear value side. All right, gentlemen. Great stuff. As always, Zerillo, Billy Ward, you can find them in the Action Network app. Should they add anything else before the fights get underway on Saturday? Again, two title fights, part of the five-fight main card, nine prelims. Prelims available on ESPN+. Plus. And then the main uh, main event, main card, starts at 10 Eastern over on Pay-Per-View. Brendan Glasheen signing off here on the Action Network podcast. I will note that if you would like to see our faces and you want to see a video version of this particular 
podcast, we have the show called The Way In, which is also presented by FanDuel that will be coming uh, Friday afternoon. So if you've already tuned into this, great. If not, uh, there's also a video version before the fights get underway on Saturday night that you can tune into as well. You might have a parlay in there. So uh, tune in if you are so willing. Thanks for listening to the Action Network podcast presented by FanDuel. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you next week. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.